morning, everybody. Welcome to the CG Pro podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear today, we you can follow us at becomecgpro.com. Um, we do a podcast every two weeks. We also run a school. You can find out more about it at our website. Uh, but today, we have great pleasure of having James Blevins with us. Um, James, welcome. It's great to hey. have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, you very much. You bet. Um, so James is a production consultant. He has a, a amazing history in the film industry. Worked with some incredible people from DD, Cineside, DreamWorks, um, and is a yeah a production consultant. Gets to work on really cool movies and help them figure out how to make them, um, including uh, things that uh, you've all probably heard about, especially The Mandalorian. So. Um, yeah, great to have you here. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Uh, Ed, I, I wouldn't have missed it. And I was really happy that you uh, you called. And uh, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, anything I can do to to help CG Pro and the CG Pro cause is is just fine with me. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll... Sure. To, to kick it off, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, you and your and how you got into this whole business in the first place maybe some like early inspirations that kind of led sure. or, or things that you know affected your your decision making and led you to get into this wonderful industry that we're in yeah yeah well um i um uh after college i i had a decision to make either uh go to new york city and and hang with my family or get as far away from my family as possible and so that i could uh just uh work without uh, their oversight you know how it is um, you have to you have to do it your way. Um, so I, I showed up in, in L.A. in 94 um, and uh, got myself a job um, as a driver um, on a on a movie called Swimming with Sharks. Um, I, I was just drawn to the entertainment industry like a moth to a flame, uh, like everyone is drawn from time to time. I used to tell people, don't tell your people to go work in the movie industry. They'll they'll go if they have to. And uh, <laughs> and I was one of them. Um, so uh, yeah, I uh, turned out uh, that it was uh, an independent that um, was just trying to, you know, uh, make a make its way. Um, Swimming with Sharks is one of my favorite movies, and I'm listed as the transpo captain because after five days, the producer ran up to me and said, "James, James, uh, do you want to be the transpo captain?" And I said, "Does it pay more?" And they said, "Sure, it's great. Okay, get all these cars out of the way." And that was that was pretty much my my first jump right then was uh, within the first five days. And I thought, oh, I'm on the fast track. Um, so it was about, you know, two years of onset stuff, art department, a uh, little bit of camera, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and then uh, I got a temp job at a division of Kodak called Cinecite, and the rest is history. I uh, wound up getting sucked into a, um, a data management job. They called them tape ops back then because they didn't have a name for them. But basically it was uh, resource management supporting artists and that was my job for a couple of decades, you know, um, until they put me in front of a flame uh, for the DD commercial department. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then one thing led to another. Um, so that's that's me in a nutshell. I, well, all that led to, after the 15 years VFX, uh, about seven years at the Disney Digital Studio at the Hub, and then uh, four and a half years at Netflix, uh, helping them stand up uh, for the first time. We, I posted the first originals there. Uh, with um, my colleague Jude Babcock and the rest of the Post gang. And then uh, we wound up um, saying goodbye to Netflix during an amazing time. Uh, and uh, and I went to go work on The Mandalorian. 
where I was a post-production supervisor. And Jude Babcock was the senior post-production supervisor. And we were sort of a one-two punch. Fantastic. Well, it's a lot of very exciting sounding stuff there. And um, <laughs> you so you studied film originally as well. Before no, I studied, I studied art. I studied okay. art. Yeah. No, I was always building my own computers. Uh, you know, I was I had a mainframe account when I was 10 years old. I was one of those guys. Hacker. Um, and Hacker nerd. Kid. Yeah, 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 a little bit. I mean, hacking has this sort of illegal implication. I was just hanging out in BBSs and, you know, marveling at it all from an early age. Built the first Heathkit computer with my uncle, you know. So always had this technological bent. Always loved light, you know. I always had a, a, a big thing for holograms and, and lasers. And, and still today, I think that's what I'm really most fascinated about uh, is light and, and image. Well, it's definitely a good industry to be in if you love light, for sure. We'd yes. Be, uh, be nowhere without it. Uh, I just realized so, I had to plug in my computer. One second. Yeah, no problem. And and electricity as well, very important when it yeah, comes to is, uh, working with computers. It's one of the first things you learn is that computers need power. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's one of those, those, those lessons, early life lessons. It's an important one. For sure. We're good to go. <laughs> okay, great. So, um, well, there's, there's so much to unpack there. What, what, um, what, what uh, initially drew, drew you towards working in film? Was there any, like, movie that you saw? That oh, yeah. No, really... no, no. Uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, Close Counters of the Third Kind, which I made my children watch um, with me uh, this weekend. Um, which, you know, it's just, those are, they tried, they give you a placard at Netflix to say, Hey, here's your name. And we're gonna put your favorite movie on there. And, um, I couldn't pick between the two. So I had this combination of seven samurai and, and close encounters as my placard. I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be, I couldn't ch choose between the one. So, right. Yeah. Fair enough. I have them both. Yeah. yeah why not? We, um, had, uh, I, we had Scott Squires on a few episodes ago and that was his first his first job was close imagine that. Yeah. So I'm working with Phil on a ATC project and, uh, um, I, you know, I had to give him the whole, like, you know, Oh, Phil, I went to go see close encounters for the first time and I'll never look at the cloud effect again. You know, I, we talked to him a week after, um, uh, uh, who was it? It was, um, was it Trumbull? Yeah. Trumbull passed away. Um, and, uh, uh, that's when he just got, just wanted to open up. That was his first job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I have always been a collaborator. I don't work well alone. Um, I, I work better with teams. Um, and I've always been someone who, uh, goes interdepartment and sort of asks them what they're doing and, and look at the, how they're doing it. And then, uh, uh, much of my career is patching those teams together and saying, you know, um, there's a bit of overlap here or. You know, you should talk to these people because they're trying to do the same thing. There's, there's been a lot of that, right? There's either stuff that will uh, advance you in, in large leaps, uh, but then you can always go back as well and, and uh, find efficiencies in the stuff that you just built. Um, I really like that part, uh, uh, developing new processes and, and making technology easy so it stays out of the artist's way. Right. It's a good good amount of curiosity and and taking very things curious. apart and figuring them out. I'm very curious. Yeah. 
what, what was it about Close Encounters that really made you want to? Oh, it's film? a little personal, but but I mean, I was explaining it to my kids. I said because uh, I saw it when I was, I, I don't know, I was not that not that old, uh, ten or eleven or twelve, and with my grandmother, and uh, it was I think it was a Christmas release, pretty sure, um, and so uh, we all sat there in the theater, and that movie was about being special. That guy. Mm -hmm you know, is, is sort of like selected along with a bunch of, you know, other people, but he's the only one who actually makes it to, to the, to the ship. Spoiler alert. Um, and he's, 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 I knew out of that movie that no, oh, no doubt I'm on the list. If the aliens come they're they're going to want to, I'm on the list. Right. And uh, it just was one of those things that just empowered me as a kid to think, Oh yeah, no, that's what being special looks like. That's what, you know, it, it engendered that in me. That's why I love that movie. That's and cool. Yeah, he was like the. There's a lot of yeah. nutters in the world, um, and but ones that are successful, you call them nutters anymore. They're like that's they're right. geniuses. He's, he's, <laughs> that's right. He's, that scene. I'm just watching it again, and that scene where he's pulling apart everyone's backyard, and the geese are going crazy, and all the neighbors are being gathered, and he just absolutely just the wife leaves, and then he throws all the bricks in the kitchen window, and then he has a little ladder. He goes into the kitchen window, and then pulls the ladder up after him. I, I, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's yeah, got. It feels quite relatable. It kind of. Yeah. It, it definitely. Does. There's. There's. I think there's all. All of us can relate to like that kind of Homer Simpson type thing where you could just imagine yourself doing some of that, filling your living room. Well, I know you potato. have. I know you have yeah. late at night. You know, uh, during the. Oh no, we just we we're at the push. It's the push. It's the push. We got to turn over. Got to get it done. We're on version yeah. fifty-four, but it's not quite right. Yeah, not quite right. We've got to order yeah. a lot of mashed potato to get this project done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, really, just I, I love to ask people what their what their inspirations. I think it's like really just fascinating to to understand. For me, it was Jurassic Park. You know, it was what what got me into the industry and um, made me really curious about how it was made and start to buy all the books the making of books and start trying to figure out how they made it and then try and make make it myself I guess like it took me 23 years that I ended up there working on one of the sequels but uh you know it starts from those those moments those it kind does, of moments it does. And of you bump into this guy. my first like shop job at, at, when I got here was in Sun Valley at a place called Atlantic West Effects. And there were two guys working in the shop and they made animatronic things really good too. But the the one guy they hired, his claim to fame is he had done the iris of the dinosaur. The, it was a, which was a practical effect. And, uh, you know, watching these machinists, you know, do all their work in AutoCAD and then machine stuff that actually worked. That was uh, another one of my, uh, during the first year, I bumped into those guys. That's so yeah. cool. I originally thought I wanted to get into practical effects because it was kind of before, before I guess CG was really a thing. And then that movie came out, and like, and then a lot of the practical stuff started turning digital, and it just made more more sense in some ways because it was more work. But and then, I really I love the practical stuff. And then it got fast. Then computing got fast, yeah. right? And then that was the thing, right? Yeah, I was standing in the middle of all this technology, and and you were you were you were too. You're surrounded by it. Um, and Moore's law was in effect and it was affecting everything. It was affecting compute power. And then, you know, the, the SGI impact came online and, you know, we, we started 
we started getting elements produced. The water showed up, the fire showed up, you know, uh, all of these, these evolutions of, of uh, computer generated effects. Um, Nuke was written, Sineon died, you know, um, and uh, just, and, and the networks were doubling in size and speed. And, you know, we could no longer, I remember giving a tour at the beginning of my career of, you know, the entire facility had a, had a terabyte. And, and some of these volumes were 254 gigabytes in a single volume. Um, it was, uh, it was really something. And, uh, and now, and now I just ordered a two terabyte drive, uh, for 40 bucks, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Times it's have a, changed. Times How have times changed. have changed. Yes, they have. So, and, and talking about speed, you now it's a great, great way to, uh, segue into this new time we find ourselves in filmmaking which is all about that it's like going from from offline visual effects being possible to it getting faster and faster and then now being at this point where we're we're kind of going back to square one through all of the invention of things into in real time instead of it's really offline. weird isn't it um yeah so v cams right unreal and v cams uh that's all evolving now. We're all jumping on to 5.0 Unreal and uh, seeing the promise uh, of uh, um, Lumen, right? Uh, and, yep. and people really, you know, in 5.1, looks like they're going to, we're going to see what they do with the VCAMs. But um, there's some really interesting people who are dedicated to the idea of uh, uh, really focusing on what our industry needs, which is camera control. Um, there's some interesting uh, 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 software vendors that are, uh, uh, getting in that there's um there's cipher x used to be pi squared there's another company uh working on this glass box glass box is working on this stuff um right. yeah they're uh controlling uh cameras in a way that we're used to and enabling the labor force that we're used to working with to get into unreal i think it's brilliant what they're doing uh tying in maya workflows for example uh and and transferring those directly into unreal um that's a cool trick um, and not to, doing it just for VCAM. It's like every single uh, plugin that goes into Maya will also uh, be transferred over and um, translated into Unreal. So um, this means that the labor force can learn Unreal on the job, right? I think it'll take, mm -hmm. you know, it, it would take someone maybe a year and a half, two years to be completely, you know, like make the transition. But you have to know that your plan B is, oh, I'll just do it in Maya, right? Oh. It's going to be a while, but suddenly they'll, they'll just say, you know what? I am going to do an Unreal. I'm going to I'm going to change the way I work and I'm going to stick to Unreal. I mean, you're enabling this right now, right? This is this is what do you find in your school? Like what's uh, um, are you finding a lot of Maya people coming uh, to learn Unreal in your in your school or tell me yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's where it started for me. You know, I my first question when I wanted to get into visual effects was, what do I do? What do I learn? And I went and asked people that used, that did make visual effects and found out they're mostly using Maya. So I learned Maya um, and just by luck, found myself at DD at the right time, jumped into yeah. Jungle Book and, and then into Lion King and then, you know, past that. I've been, been using Unreal for quite a while before that for various different things, but then seeing it pick up and really you know, jump in after Lion King and the Mandalorian really being the, the test case for it and building its strength around that. Um, there's at, the, at this point, yeah, there's lots of people who 
are curious about it um, from two major camps, really, the filmmaking side of it and the visual effects side of things. And both both sides of the divide, I would guess you could call it, um, previously, those two groups didn't mix that much. You'd be a VFX soup, you'd, you'd jump about, um, you'd go between the two. You'd have to learn about both significantly as a VFX soup. But everybody else was pretty much in one side or the other. And they didn't mix all that much. Now, now we're all um, coming together a lot more. And that's one of the things I love about it. It's just the connectivity and the collaboration that's happening. But it's also it's, it's, like I said, it's what I love, right? I love I love I love those collaborations. I love to introduce people uh, to each other and say, hey, you know, everyone wants the same thing, which is to uh, create this vision, which will then make it all the way to the viewer. Um, and I, I, I to your point, my clients, a couple of them now are VFX supervisors who are, you know, now trying to gain, maintain their, their creative control by allying with the production designer, which they do anyway, right? They have to keep an eye on, on production design, but also um, uh, partnering with DPs, right? Uh, and then because the VFX soup is usually, you know, it's, it's, it's called in-camera VFX, right? So the war is over. They kind of own that part, right? Um, it's perfectly reasonable then for them to turn to their uh, vendors uh, and uh, the smaller vendors, not your ILMs or NPCs, because they'll just control this entire process. Um, but there are many, many visual effects supervisors with smaller budgets who are trying to bring their talent into the virtual art department and, uh, and create, do some look dev in, in Unreal and, uh, and then really find the, the really nice efficiencies of, of enabling previs through um, through uh, labor coming from visual effects, but enabling production design. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to watch. It's happening right now, uh, and uh, so I would encourage you to um, educate more people quickly, please. <laughs> Certainly, I will take that feedback uh, on <laughs> very seriously. Um, I spend pretty much every waking minute of my life doing doing that <laughs> on that mission Hurry and up. uh I'll, i will I'll, I'll, I'll speed yeah. it up for you yeah <laughs> um yeah so def definitely to your point um lots of people that like i guess there's lots of people who are curious about virtual production in the same way we've been talking about you know curiosity there's obviously th things like the mandalorian that have really um brought it into the public eye and um in intrigued filmmakers and um artists yeah alike. there's going to be some and... challenges right there's going to be so uh everyone needs to now jump into the pool and find out if it's it's if if it's for them right um it's not going to be for everyone uh but um because it is at this phase you know there's some things that you really have to target and uh you really have to you know, want the benefit that you get from the uh, uh, the usage uh, for the ancillary light, for example, right? Um, that That is just, there's no denying, uh, foreground elements just look perfect, right? And if you can get final pixel off the wall into camera, I, you're done. And for me, I think it's a fantastic medium. And once the production designer understands the relationship of the lens to the wall uh, it, it, it and what they're capable of, I, I've seen, like the difference between Mandalorian season one and Mandalorian season two was really watching the production designers just flourish, right? Uh, 
with the aid of ILM, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's that sort of conversation is really what I try and get going as fast as possible, um, which means that I am really a big fan of Previs. Right. What was it? Tell us uh, what you can anyway um, of some of the challenges that were that you went right. through at the beginning of the Mandalorian yeah. work. Well, well, I, I was brought on the Mandalorian for one thing and one thing only, and that was to really make sure that um, you know there was a lot of great work on the wall, and uh, the way we had shot some scenes. Um, the only way to get that work back was to actually do a comp and bring it back, you know, as a, as a visual effects shot. Um, and we suggested that perhaps if we protected for two thirds of a stop on the wall, uh, then uh, much of the good work uh, that was there, um, you could get back if you wanted it or lose it, right? But to, to make the decision to shoot into the toe, and because it's not like reality, right? If I shoot into a shadow with an Ari, uh, I'm actually going to be catching a lot of light uh, out of the shadows, and I can go dig some out in post. If I shoot at the wall, we don't we don't get a lot of energy down there, right? So if it's gone, um, there's a good chance you can't dig it out, right? It's already been sort of um, sort of sort of thrown away. Um, so if you can protect for two thirds of a stop, raise the wall a bit. Uh, understand that what you see in the camera is not the final, not not your look but uh, it's gonna be what's suggested by the DAT on say like a Sony 310 on the side um, and, uh, and know that that is your hero look, then you can really give yourself more options in post. That's, that's the thing I was brought in for on Mandalorian. Um, but then I met Clint Spillers and Chris Williams uh, and uh, um, they, we worked on some stuff. I, I, I worked on the, um, with the previous department uh, enabling editorial. Now I could talk about that for a little bit if you like. Cool. Yeah. So, so what we did was, uh, um, you know, editor editors like to tell a story um, their own way. And what was happening was Previs was having a fantastic discussion with the directors, the DPs, and of course they would have a whole day of rendering and pointing cameras and everything. And then they make a quick time in about an hour, and they send it over to editorial and. The editor was the editor on the show. He wasn't just doing an assembly. He would have an opinion or she would have an opinion, you know? And, uh, and of course, this would drive Chris and Clint they'd get very frustrated because everyone had gone home already, right? Um, and so uh, so that, that really needed to be sort of shored up. Um, and there are ways to do that and, and the ways I think we can enable editorial to be more part of the previous conversation. Um, but what we did was we told Chris, hey, it'd be nice if we could pick objects in the foreground of your where your B-cam's pointing and say, give us an alpha channel. I'm like, what do you need an alpha channel for? Well, because we might actually want to take those elements, separate them out, and the editor might want to do a slap comp. And so uh, uh, they built that in. They built that in. I think that's now an option in Unreal. And, uh, and Chris came back you know, after a season and uh, said, you know, that, that suggestion, we rolled it into the product. So... I think I had a hand in that. That was something I'm very proud of. Uh, Thank see. you. Jackie's, Jackie's got some questions here. Yeah, there's a couple coming in. Um, so, yeah, someone's asking about how much post um, ICV effects need. So I guess there's someone talking about when you shoot on the wall, does it, does it need a lot of post? Right. Um, if you do it wrong, <laughs> 
<laughs> you need a lot of posts. <laughs> a tremendous amount of posts. <laughs> All tremendous posts. Of posts. Yeah, that's right. Every pixel. Um, that's right. Uh, no, if you do it wrong, uh, it's uh, you're you're um, you're in big trouble. Uh, so you need to test, right? Um, I can tell you that the percentage of shots that we intended to be uh, um, finals, right, uh, that were just in-camera visual effects, um, we were very successful on the second season of Mandalorian, uh, and um, I, I actually went and checked, uh, but the difference between first season and second season really showed an amazing improvement and use of the wall. Uh, and I could say that it was, um, I can't really tell you how many shots, but there were not that many shots that we actually had to do something with. Um, and it, the ones that we did do something with, uh, it was to add something, you know, like mm. a bird flying or something like right. that. Rather than yeah. taking a bunch of stuff out that didn't work and replace it, yeah. Right. Sometimes you shoot off angle, and and uh, or sometimes the wall gets a little, does something weird. You know, the the engine will just start to uh, a little tiny something will begin to turn on and off. You know. And, right. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, um, we've got another one here. Someone's asking about. Um, unless you have more to say about that, or do you have? Well, more to the say previous thing. The there's a lot to unpack there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the other question for the for the listeners here is, um, can you elaborate um, for people in previs enabling pr production design? What is the connection between previs and virtual art department? Right. So this is an evolving story, right? Um, production designers will often work with the virtual art the virtual art department. Well, that that's their department. Um, and uh, they will begin to uh, interact with the previous department to uh, create initial models um, for uh, previs, tech viz, um, uh, virtual scouting. Um, they're all part of the virtual art department discussion, right? Um, if you have a virtual art department, which is made of uh, photoreal capable artists, well, that's going to change things a bit. You're going to wind up um breaking the linear sort of the handoff point right from classic visual effects right you're 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 suddenly <laughs> really delivering on the promise of in-camera visual effects now many clients want to maintain control through the vfx pipeline um, which is why it's so great that visual effects supervisors are moving into the virtual art departments, uh, because if they don't, they are at odds with the virtual art department, right? Uh, because they need to have a bit of control over their models, right? Uh, and so they'll write into their contract saying, no, 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 that's great what you did there. I love that environment stuff. Boy, that does look real, but actually we've got to do it ourselves. And so we're going to re yeah. redo all that. And you know, I, I, you could say it's a revenue um, question. Uh, it's probably more of an artistic control question. It can be both, right? But I yep. believe that for those shows that are not working with an ILM or an MPC or someone who really can help the vision of the show, um, there are many, many, many shows with really talented visual effects supervisors who can enable the, the virtual art departments to, to really come up with some fantastic in camera visual effects. And I think this is a new paradigm. I think this paradigm will enable what I call the new um, uh, mini studio, right? 
the, the these people who have been just tirelessly working on real, trying to make their own movie, and now they're beginning to bring uh, um, real elements into their space consistently, right? So if you get some really talented people um, who are are able to really deliver on the promise in camera visual effects, um, I think that really changes the classic VFX, you know, line, you know, the uh, the 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 revenue stream, the the work itself. Right. See, yeah, there's lots of really amazing independent people now doing incredible looking work that's you now comparable better than giant visual effects studios 15 years ago let's say doing work on their own in engine with just some simple tools it's i think it's real. it's like to me it seems like it's ripe to have another george lucas appear pretty soon yeah i agree um i i and i, I think they're they're going to be running these mini studios right that's what lucas did he ran he ran yeah. a studio right um from the very beginning i mean he was he was just he his show enabled uh a new way of making movies um yeah let's see another elaborate on what type of shots didn't work in season one of the mandalorian no i can't because they were all so perfect and uh um <laughs> the uh, i can tell you the types of problems that will occur on walls that very experienced dps you know will will share some of this information <clears throat> Um, if you shoot on a wall, um, there's a chance, there's a sort of area where whatever capture grid you're using, right, in the camera and, and the grid on the wall, right, if, they, if they're like matched up perfectly or they're kind of like way off sync, you know, that, that's fine. You, you won't get any moraying. But if they are just a little off, right, you'll get what's called the Nyquist effect. And that will result in some buzzing and uh, sort of rainbow um uh chroma problems um moraying uh it can be dealt with the color stuff is easier to deal with deal with than the buzzing one um but it's something that you need to worry about sometimes when you're 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 shooting in this zone and there's a zone for your camera right uh that will uh sort of be a bad place to shoot for a wall um should be called the, be, the disco zone it's that it, don't go here here there be dragons um, they're, uh, here, they're not be dragons. So, so anywhere from like six feet, if you're really lucky, this sort of depends on the pitch of the thing. And also the type of camera you're using, uh, back to like 15 feet for the wall. Right. Which is why these enormous walls work so great. Cause you're never that close to the wall. Um, but it's a, uh, that's a gotcha. And the way you, you deal with that is that you throw everything sort of, uh, just on the other side of the depth of field. Um, and so that's that's the first trick, right? That people do is that they kind of blur the wall. You blur the wall, you blur the lines. The Nyquist goes away, right? Um, that may not be how people shoot. You know, I, I can think of plenty of directors who, when they shoot, they like it crisp. Their mm -hmm. shutter angle is small, right? And they are it is it is about symmetry, right? Uh, not about romantic sort of you know mushiness. Um, you also right. learn when you're talking to DPs that you can't use terms like mushy when you're talking to them. They get very upset. Defensive, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some limitations, essentially, is what you're saying in terms of what uh, 
what yeah. you can and can't do basically yeah, in yeah, those spaces. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And don't forget the audio problem too, right? Yeah. Um, there is a consistent echo, but the key is a consistent echo, right? So uh that means that you can uh throw uh throw um can't you know noise canceling uh on an echo and, and that that trick just works, right? Um I I we're we're less worried about the uh the noise mitigation on those walls because there's really no getting around it. And thankfully, uh, there are lots of fixes for for fixing, you know, getting rid of echo. Um, right. But the, gotta, uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, sorry, I was just going to say there's another question, but if you had another a thought, then finish it. No, I, I could. Uh, what's the other question? Uh, somebody, a very specific question here is pixel pitch between 2.3 to 2.8 the best to consider? I know there are more tight pixel pitches, but is there a standard? There is no standard. There, I said it. Good. All um, right. Thanks there is no it. standard. I, I I believe right that the smaller the pi uh, pixel pitch, the closer to the wall you may be able to shoot. Um, that being said, remember that you know we're dealing with with patterns and that sort of thing. So there might be a new danger zone a little further back, but I doubt it. Um, testing, testing testing you know if you get into the big big stages that's a hundred fifty thousand dollars a day burning right so you better have your tech viz done you better everyone must the last thing you want is your uh dp to walk into a stage and go oh oh the airplane is oh okay you know that's uh and that that means that you did not do your job in preparing them for this shoot that they're suddenly realizing uh, that things are where they didn't expect them to be. That's not a thing you want to have happen when you walk onto their their set, you know, in prep. Can you can you tell us some some good uh, tips for good good tech viz, good prep, preparation? Um, the best advice I ever got for for setting up a shoot is to run it. This is from Clint Spillers. Um, run it like it's a reshoot or run it like it's pickups. Um, uh, that means that every department head meets, they look at the the the, the pages, right? And um, they understand because reshoots, everyone wants to leave anyway. So that they're all about efficiency. They're all about getting the right stuff uh, on the stage and off the stage as quickly as possible. And there's a huge discussion about how to do that. Um, so uh, that is probably uh, the, one of the best pieces of production advice I ever got was uh, run run your your uh, virtual productions as if it were uh, a pickup or a reshoot because because um, that way you'll maximize uh, your your the most expensive thing which is the stage time. Copy that. Um, somebody here is asking how far is the camera away from the wall? Is it is there some standard distance away from the wall? Yeah, it, it's again, test, 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 right? Um, I, I don't find any problems, you know, usually certainly past 15 feet, right? When you're making these models um, and the, in, the, in the virtual environments, you, you're doing it with the perspective of, you know, where the wall is going to be. At first, you're free from all that, right? You just create a space and you start setting cameras and coming up with dreams and, you know, no holds barred, right? Um, you can expand the space, you can shrink the space, you can make the spaceship smaller, larger, and 
but then you got to sort of set it right. Um, and then you got to plop your virtual production stage into it and say, okay, this is, this is where it's going to be. And that differentiates what is going to be practical and what is going to be virtual. Um, and, uh, uh, that will dictate, um, a bunch of things, including how close to the wall you're wanting to get. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting. One of the, one of the promises of virtual production has been the ability to go do pickups. Right. And right. so if your walls are tuned, uh, and I mean, in terms of color and luminance, and you have two separate walls, like one panel and like one big wall, um, you can do different things on your close-ups, right? Then, uh, then you could, um, uh, you know, on the bigger wall, right? Uh, you, there's just, sometimes it's good to go so, sort of small. It'll give you some interesting options. Um, one of them is cost savings. Uh, there, you know, there's, there's a new wall. Have you heard about magic boxes, uh, uh, um, virtual production truck? It's on a semi. It folds yeah, out us. in 20 minutes, right? Uh, and uh, it has um, its ceiling, uh, two walls, uh, three walls, sorry. This is just the prototype, but the production uh, one's going to be even bigger. But it all sort of comes out of this 18-wheeler, right? Um, and the the way the, uh, the stage folds out, you actually roll a car up right onto it and do your um, do your your car shots. But uh, they shot something just the other day um, on the, you know, using Santa Monica um, pier plates, which was just amazing. Um, let's see here. I'm just having a look at it. Yeah, it looks, yeah. It looks really cool. Magicbox.ninja. Is yeah, that the website? Ninja. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah, actually, that truck is now parked uh, in the back of Stargate Studios. Uh, Sam Nichols uh, is is guiding them into how to integrate with uh, with camera. Oh, amazing. Um, another question that's coming here. Um, uh, somebody's asking, is there any resistance from the visual effects post world yes. to virtual there, production? Basically, yeah, I think it's the yeah, question. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but it's the wrong kind of resistance. The part I'm, uh, the resistance. Not the I'm Star Wars of. kind of resistance. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more like the Borg resistance. Um, it, it, resistance is futile. It, it, it's, there's no point in, in resisting the way it's, you know, people are resisting these days. Um, it's about creative control, right? And, and you can't really, you can't, that's the worst reason to not adopt the technology is because of creative control. Um, that means you will get, they will, you will, people will go around you so fast and it'll make your head spin. You may be in business for another two years. But if you say, no, 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 we're working this way because uh, this is the way our VFX pipeline is and this is the way it's going to be, I, I, the world will move around you. Um, right. So so that's okay. People can resist. But if they are resisting, they might ask themselves why, right? Mm -hmm. And if it, the answer turns out to be, well, I got I to gotta get paid or I'm losing a revenue stream, well, you know, I can't tell you. And remember, I used to work at Kodak. And there was a company that couldn't get out of their core business strategy to save their lives. And, yeah. uh, and very which, which time, which time did you work there? Was it toward like near where, where they went the Kodak? 
Cinecite was owned owned by uh, Kodak, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was there when they bought their first digital camera. And I turned to Gil Gagnon, who was uh, operations guy at the time, VP. Um, and he said, uh, I turned to him and I said, how long do you think it takes a $15 billion balloon to deflate? And it turns out it was about a billion pretty a year. Quick. Yeah, right. it was pretty quick. Pretty so what's the what's the solution then for you, for, for anyone that's out there resisting? Bravery. Right. You're going to have to take it on. You're going to have to take it on and it's going to hurt. And you got all that money you thought was coming your way. You're going to have to look yourself hard in the face and realize that if you want to take the short term gain and get out, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of move into other businesses, that's fine. But uh, I like Seth Hallen is a, a, he runs Light Iron. Um, and I remember uh, he was involved in discussion about a new process, uh, color grading in the cloud that might be a, a, um, a threat to their core business. And Seth just laughed at me and just said, there's no threat to the business, you know, and he's absolutely right. That's the attitude to take. You just need to pivot. You need to be agile. Uh, you need to be brave, right? So yeah. It's the whole business is littered with people who said, cause this is the way we do it. Yeah, for sure. And look how different it is now compared to how it was 20 years ago. What to, what do you have any advice to say people in the visual effects industry who are thinking about virtual production? Um, what would what would your advice be to them to like to maybe start uh, looking into this kind of stuff if they're still in the traditional workflows? I I don't know what I would tell the individual artists because they have such you know they've been in there. You know, even the compositors, you know, they, they're all sort of supported so well by like, you know, people doing mocap and roto and, you know, it's just everyone is, is contributing to them for final comp. Um, and if you go to like the people who are working in, in Maya and that sort of thing, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna move towards these sort of virtual production enabling processes. Uh, the thing I think that needs the most help that I think a good VFX person could contribute to a good VFX supervisor um, is creating a new game called Let's Make a Movie. Now, I've said mm -hmm. this before, but I, I really believe it's true. Um, you know, we, we, we have Unreal. Unreal has, has been running in the cloud for a long, long time. And I would like to see a game where we would just go meet there without the help of an ILM, without the help of, you know, it's just something, it's an add-on, right? It's sort of like, <clears throat> like Pix, what Pix became, right? Or uh, um, sort of it became, you know, or Netflix, right? Netflix suddenly showed up everywhere in every uh, area. Um, Clearview is another one that just sort of, sort of piping, piping uh, uh, it was just showing up on our phones and our tablets. It'd be nice if we had this app called Make a Movie, which would go to a, a shared space where we could start to um, talk about a scene and people could add elements that supported uh, a substantial amount of geometry and also um, stayed there when you logged out, right? That would be- Persistence, yeah. Yeah, have some persistence. That would be really great. I, I, I really want that to happen because if that does happen, then everyone could just meet there and start make, setting their cameras and having their conversations and uh it'd be really enabling it sounds like some kind of utopian metaverse dream it, it, it 
doesn't it? I mean, isn't that <laughs> so, like if you did that, right, then you could do the thing of like, oh, I'm going to move my camera, set my camera. But then you would also be ready to like you'd have the whole world in your head so you could just free yourself. Right. And then you're prepared for what's next, what the next deliverable is, which is the whole open world that you've built. Right. Um, because that's that's sort of what you need. You're sort of probably going to wind up contributing to. And for for much of this metaverse content is stuff that is tied into um, games and and uh, and episodics. And uh, so that's why I think working in these three sixty spaces will really engender new ways of thinking, uh, new new talent. Uh, yeah, it, it it is utopian, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's happening. No, it's we can see evidence of it for sure. Mm -hmm. What um, what needs do you see out there in this space? The, there's a lot of talk about uh, the, there's a lot of demand for people, and it's really hard to find people. What what are the, some of the biggest needs that you see in your day to day? Right. Well, obviously, the people that you're training, um, we need them. Uh, I think that um, I think some. Some people outside of media and entertainment are coming in and helping subsidize some of this training as well. Boeing is coming in. They have a real interest in getting people up on uh, Unreal, right? For their, mm -hmm. their, you know, they've, they've got, it's great for manufacturing. Um, it's great for all sorts of things. So it's great to see that those things are are being um, su subsidized, and um, and that's engendering also the same abilities to be applied to art, right? Um, uh, I just think it, uh, it the, the labor needs to come along and then the hardest part, right? Which is getting trust. It's not, it's not just what you're working on. It's how you're working on it, right? It's really important. Um, and so when you're, when you're working collaboratively with other people, it's so critical to be honest, to be open, to be undefensive. I mean, this is truly collaborative. And you may have fought tooth and nail to get to a position where suddenly you, you know, you have to be there. Um, which is why sometimes some of the geniuses we work with are so unpleasant. But I think it's really important to, to truly collaborate. And uh, and you'll find that if you, you know, you often will get as good as you give uh, if you uh if you work that way, it's really important. And you'll, you'll gain trust. Once you have the trust and you're already skilled, well, then you're just going from show to show to show to show if that's what you want to do. Right. So yeah, some of the soft skills, essentially just as important as knowing how to do the technical stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think it's true. Don't you, Ed? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, I think it's um, something that people don't teach in schools in general. I think it's some of that stuff. Oh, here's a good some question. Some of the most important. Yeah, uh, here's a good question. In your opinion, does a brain bar, is it necessary in every virtual production? Um, I have managed to get the, okay, first of all, we have to stop calling it brain bar. <laughs> but uh, who's going to stop? Who's, who's going to stop, stop it though, James? The DPs. No one, everyone the DPs keeps are going to stop it. The DPs are going to say, I hate the name. we're smart too. We have a whole book <laughs> full of really smart stuff, you know, and no one's calling us like, brain camera you know we're, we're <laughs> you know they're not so smart um there's a little bit of that going on right so 
um, virtual production yep. technologists, uh, uh, you know, support team, uh, something. Anyway, that's I, you know, it's kind of fun to watch the. the we'll work on Brad it. Baybar. That's right. Um, yep. Is it necessary? Well, someone's got to run the Unreal, right? Someone's got to run it. Um, someone's got to move the lights, right? There's got to be a virtual reality gaffer, right? That's that's all going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, it can't just be the virtual production supervisor also twiddling all the knobs, right? There's an immense amount of metadata which is being produced for these stages. All of that needs to be properly recorded and called and managed. Um, and uh, so uh, I have gotten it down to about four people, but that is, and uh, I've seen some other stages got it down to four people. Um, and Mandalorian was substantially larger than that, but we yeah. were starting out, right? We were just figuring it all out. And I think actually the commitment to that kind of size, it, it's all, it's all in the, in the movie. It's all there. It's all in the show. Yeah. So the number of factors involved in the budget is, is another one. Um, and yeah, going, going back to the you know, jungle book example, um, there was like one, one and a half, two, maybe people doing, doing it there. It was just way too much. And yeah. there's been a you know, real effort since then to have more more help because it's too much responsibility to have um not yeah the, 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 you definitely need multiple people helping out in those environments especially high pressure environments um yeah, yeah good question yeah well, and, we and, should do a we should do a like a competition for the rename the brain bar you should because <laughs> it comes also, up so much <laughs> the 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 thing so remember when we were working at uh, dd the flame guys were like working with the commercial clients and they'd come in and like they're sitting there in the back you know room and get their lattes and be like oh a little bit <laughs> a little bit more pink oh a little bit more vibrant a little bit more you know they do all that stuff um it, it's uh it's 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 you have to make sure that doesn't happen on the virtual production stage and so the real trick for an unreal operator is not to get sucked into that you know but to work with the production and the assistant director uh, to, to discern what is a reasonable and unreasonable request. Because if you don't, you, you, you've got to tell the production, the director just asked me to do something that's going to take two hours. Do we have a long lunch or, or should we, what do we do? Right. Uh, and, and doing that delicately is, is really key. Discerning how to tell people that is an unreasonable request, um, properly. That's a skill. That definitely, especially in certain environments. Um, somebody asked a question here: Is anyone building a spherical LED volume? I've actually seen a a, a quarter sphere LED volume. Well, what about the one going up in Vegas? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, haven't turned it on yet, but yeah, there's no. But could, you could the, get used for that. Yeah, well, I mean, I got to go see the one uh, the the prototype that they're they put up um, in Burbank. next to the Burbank Airport, right? Yeah. Um, you're supposed to get me in there, aren't you? Aren't you, aren't you supposed <laughs> to get us in? It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As we're speaking publicly, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's amazing what those guys are, are doing. I think, and yeah, certainly yeah, I, mainly intended for shows, but um, for sure you could imagine. I, I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know what it, what it's going to bring to the to the the table. But I I, I love that it's being done. Right. Yeah. I know that there's an LED sphere going the outside, and there's a sphere on the right. inside. Right, so that 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 should be really good. Um, yeah, um, and, uh, I don't know how much it is to switch it on. That's always the thing with like a lot of the stages I've been on. So how how much does it cost to actually turn this on, or like go out the back and switch all the Jennies on and 
power it up for like an hour. Yeah, but How much if they're cost? LEDs compared to like, I mean, think of the light shows that they've been putting. Think of the laser shows that they put on and stuff. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. the amps required to light LEDs. It ain't that bad. Not not real. Not for the impact that you get, right? When you've got a 20,000 20, 20, seat venue, it's a lot of LEDs. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait too. I think it's, I, I'm really looking forward Isn't to it. Isn't it funny that what we're doing now is instead of all putting on Oculus and meeting somewhere in the middle, we're now creating systems which are shared Oculus experiences. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're surrounding ourselves again, right? Um, and uh people like being around other people it's it's amazing how people thought yeah i mean not everyone (laughs) now for sure yeah um uh, i i did see a a view i saw a quarter sphere um led volume there was like it was and i don't know if it was if it's being used yet but uh somebody had built a quarter sphere there like a, a smaller one yeah so the idea of being, I guess, being able to start lifting the camera up. I wonder if we could shoot on it. I mean, I wonder if we could shoot on the the Vegas one. I wonder if we want to shoot on it. You know, I have so many questions. Yeah. Let's, let's go ask them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could for sure if you uh, if you can afford to get them to switch it on for your production. <laughs> That's uh, the hey, question. man, if you don't want me to use it, don't build it. You know, I mean, look, are you we just here sneak to make something there. or aren't we, you know? Uh, You're just going to you sneak know. in there and turn it on when they're not looking. You know what? I agree. Some shows don't deserve to be made. That's true. And they shouldn't, right? So keep your wall off. But if you're interested in making something, call me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my attitude. What are you What are you most uh, excited about in virtual production? Phase one is is over, right? Um, now we're going to start dealing with controlling energy flow on these walls, right? Some interesting panels may get manufactured that are going to deal with some of the lack of full spectrum light. The full spectrum light problem will will evolve into a full spectrum light solution. Um, and then we're going to start dealing with motion, motion on these walls, right? There's something about shooting plates, which has you filmed the motion. You you selected when you shot the plate. You selected the uh, the the um, the gate, right? Uh, the um, the shutter. Sorry, and uh, and now you've gotten the sort of motion you want on a plate. But what about Unreal? What is the relationship between the V cam shutter and and the camera shutter? And are you going to be around? To, are you going to be able to play around with that to get the sort of motion that you're looking for off these walls? Um, because remember, if you look at a wall with your eye and things are moving, it kind of judders, right? That all goes away in camera, right? Mm-hmm. But that means that the thing that applies light and motion and blur to an image doesn't exist on a wall. It's just, bup, 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 right? There's none of this, you know, reality's got a lot of data in it, right? And so <laughs> it does, yeah, too much, yeah, too much. <laughs> so, so it's a, uh, it's going to be an interesting challenge to see you know, how we begin to work with the ASC to really move forward with some of this motion stuff. Um, it's becoming a big thing. Motion itself has become a big thing because everyone's TVs are now so bright uh, that they are, uh, the judder is becoming really annoying. And at some point, a someone really important is going to have to say, thanks for running my show at 48 FPS in the theater. 
why aren't the streamers doing that for me? And I want to do a motion grade. So it's, uh, you know, that that's also very interesting to me. There's this uh, company Pixel, uh, Pixel Works, uh, TrueCut, TrueCut. They're going to be dealing mm -hmm. with motion grades. So there's all sorts of weird things happening. I think all the stuff that's evolving is going to be having to deal again with uh, light levels and motion and capturing that light. Somebody has a question here saying, um, with color grading in the cloud, will we get to a place where the data from the camera will travel directly to the consumer without ever having to be captured on a separate media? All right. Well, uh, that's called broadcasting, right? <laughs> yeah. And it happens today. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you get that. I, I can tell you that um, I did. I guess they're probably in saying, well, broadcast virtual production xr i don't know what you whatever you call it no no no. i would love to hear what he's what, what they're thinking um because uh because it's an interesting i, I mean you know it's saying live specifically... is a thing there's a big movement in live stuff and, it, and he's absolutely right there's there's some um microsoft is partnering with uh, some really interesting people who are doing a lot they're going to start augmenting a lot of broadcasts in interesting ways uh and uh and that's all starting to happen now that's a whole nother career path, by the way, and, and one that's going to be very fruitful, I think. Um, I did shoot uh, a show um, using Amazon Web Services in a 10 gigabit uh, pipe where I actually was able to take the camera card of the RE RAW 4K, which was recorded at 740 megabytes per second, and was able to load it up into the cloud at 800 megabytes per second. So I was able to go up to the cloud faster than the camera could record it. Um, but because oh. we're a production, we have to copy because we have to be bonded, right? We have to be insured as rules, um, yeah, as rules. Um, but it uh, once it went up to the cloud, I made one more copy and that was done. I, I I did the whole show, including the color grading, and four 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 ten bit, all right off the the cloud, off an AWS uh, FSX instance. It's pretty so cool. That's that's very cool. Yeah, I they think the we're always chasing that like how much data you're pulling off the camera is increasing and then the bandwidth is increasing in the internet and anyway i, I think the, the question the person ask, asking the question is asking about the kind of like this idea of a live visual effects pipeline essentially at that point well i if it's going to happen i think it's going to happen in, in music first you know these uh, i think it's going to be like um you know, you, you saw Ariana Grande's, you saw, um, there was another concert m more recently that was uh, sort of a Fortnite event. Um, but I think that's a little bit headed in that direction, right? <clears throat> Where you join as yeah. your avatar and uh, <clears throat> all that was sort of pre-recorded. But Ed Sheeran did something about a year ago, which suddenly, you know, I was just sitting in my chair and suddenly Instagram said, hey, you wanna see Ed Sheeran sing a concert? And, and uh, I said, sure. Suddenly, there I was with Ed Sheeran, and it was a live streaming broadcast. All sorts of interesting things. If you have a good idea <clears throat> in that space, pursue it. One, I'm going to take one last question here. Um, someone's asking, what would you say is the future of green screen and Unreal Engine? It seems like everyone is kind of drifting towards the LED only. Any thoughts on that? Well, if you chose a virtual production wall, that meant that you were organized, you planned out your shots, um, and uh, because it's a very expensive way to shoot. So um, green screen 
uh, is beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, it doesn't, you know, unless you get really lucky and have a gaffer who really knows what they're doing, um, lining up your foreground elements to match your background in green screen, that's the trick, right? And this is kind of kind of why we did the virtual production thing to begin with, right? Was that that ancillary light suddenly, you cannot see the scene. It goes away. Um, and it's such a higher level of quality. It's just, uh, it, it's hard to compete. Um, that being said, you look at the Moses system, you know, they'll shoot at higher frame rates and you capture it so that uh, you're capturing every other frame so that uh, you're getting the background wall, but then you're also getting a green screen shot. Um, and it's uh, it looks a little fuzzy when you're actually doing it, but in camera, you're getting two separate feeds. So you're getting a green screen at the same time. I think this is an interesting time that, you know, people are doing this because they're not exactly sure about things. They're, they're not confident. Um, so I think that green screen and the visual effects supervisors who've been working on green screen will like to have it around for a plan B until they find a little bit more confidence. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I want to ask you, um, finally, just uh, is there anything that you'd like to share? Is there anywhere people can follow you and the things that you're doing? Anything that you want to share with us? Thanks. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm very careful now. I'm fortunate enough uh, to to pick the projects that I want to pick. Um, and uh, if you're fortunate enough to get in that position, um, uh, it's it's a wonderful time uh, to to be working uh, because you can you can sort of pick and choose. Uh, it took me 25 years to get there. Um, this is not disheartening news uh, because I um, mean, if you remember back to your DD days, Ed, those were some really great years, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess my advice is. Um, don't be daunted by, you know, how long you think it's going to take to be working the way you want to work. Um, enjoy the fact that you are working in an incredible industry, uh, that you are probably right to come here, uh, that that you should count your lucky stars if you can. Um, and it's it's just a great industry to be working in, and, and I love the people around it. So um, hang in there if there's a rough time for you. And if it isn't, um, Hurry up and get it done. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, very, very exciting time. I think it's the most exciting time I've seen in in visual effects. Really, just the amount of innovation that's going on at the moment, the amount of change. The it's a it is a very cool time. Democratizing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. People being able to do amazing things on on their own on a single machine. It's and, and the designs coming from all over the globe. Just ah, oh, just amazing. The stories coming out of virtual production in in VR space. I, who knew that this the most that part of the virtual uh, reality storytelling was going to be a safe place for just some of the most moving stories I've ever seen in my life. Just incredibly heartfelt. And and AI. Any thoughts on how that's starting to influence creativity and 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 the technical right. side of things? For now, technology wants what we want. And it's great. Uh, I personally believe that technology is an extension of our own evolution. Uh, and uh, as far as AI goes, um, it's going to happen quicker than you think, but it's not happening tomorrow. 
Well, there you, there you have it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> James, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute sure. pleasure. Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. That's about it. I'm not a big fan of social media in general. I'm a lurker. Uh, and uh, But um, yeah, uh, LinkedIn is mostly where I do my social stuff. I'm, I can't believe uh, you invited me to this wonderful podcast and, and CG Pro. You're doing such great work. Uh, and um, keep those keep those talented people coming. Um, thank you. Keep it up. We will. Absolutely. Not stopping. But th yeah, thank you very much. And um, yeah, thank you for for joining us. This is a great conversation. Hopefully we'll, we'll, I think it seems like we have hours more that we could do. So maybe we'll have to have you back sometime uh, and carry Thanks it on. Thanks much. Thanks very much. You bet. And um, yeah, thank you also to our listeners. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Um, if you're tuning in live or in the recording and uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. If, if you're interested in what we do as a school as well, you can follow us at becomecgpro.com. We have a list of classes and various things up there. But uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks and hope you have a great evening.